Hello and welcome to What the Buck. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. Today we have Caitlin coming on the podcast to share her birth story. So thank you for being willing to share your story with us, Caitlin. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Of course. So first off, tell me a little bit about yourself and your family. So I am from Iowa. Um, I actually recently got married in um, June of 2020. We had a little bit of a COVID wedding, um, but we got really lucky. We were able to have um, all the people that had RSVPD, yes, which is basically anyone that didn't have to travel. Um, so we ended up having a really beautiful wedding. It kind of just worked out perfectly. Um, my husband and I met in high school. We were, um, in show choir together and we kind of always knew each other, but never really, I don't know, we weren't close friends or anything. And then one day my senior year, I was leaving early because I was a senior, so I could do that. He was leaving early because he was going to a big, um, it was a big 10 championship is what it was. Um, And we just ended up walking out together and we just had a really good conversation. I don't know why, but I kind of just felt prompted to like bare my soul to this boy. (laughs) And uh, he messaged me on Twitter later that night. And we have pretty much talked every day since I think, yeah, I don't think there's been a day since that we have not talked. Uh, that's so, a cute story. Yeah. So he's actually two years younger than me. So we mm-hmm. had to do two years of long distance. I um, went off to college and then two years later he came as well. I think he'd want me to share that he was always planning on going to that college. So it's not like he followed he me fo- there. He did. He followed you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And so we, yeah, like I said, we got married last summer um we have two cats Jennifer just got to see one of them yes I did (laughs) Um, but yeah we just had our baby in November he was born on November 16th so I'm only about five weeks postpartum at this point so everything's really fresh so I'm excited to share Yes. That's amazing. Well, that's a very cute story of how you guys met. And, um, yeah, I know a lot of people like there was kind of that point where COVID was really bad. We were like complete lockdown and then it kind of like died down for a little bit. Some of the mandates got removed, all that stuff. I think that's when a few people snuck through some weddings. My best friend Mm -hmm. got married around then too. Uh, I think in August and then it ramped back up again. So I'm glad that you were kind of able to, um, sneak in your wedding during that little time period. Yeah, we got very lucky. We were, it was the week before I think that we found out we'd be able to have everyone. Wow. So yeah, everyone was just kind of bearing with us, but yeah, we got, we got very blessed. And yeah, thank you for um, also coming on so, so soon and sharing your story. I know those first, honestly, those first six weeks are um, pretty rough. You know, it's just a lot of change, (laughs) a lot of adapting. So finding time to do anything can be overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. It's good because it's going to be fresh in my mind. So yes, that is very true. (laughs) So first off, tell me about finding out you were pregnant. So we were not trying. Um, We were using FEM um, and just doing natural family planning. And when I learned FEM, I learned it from a dear friend of mine. She kind of told me, you know, FEM can be very highly effective, but you guys have to talk together and decide what level of risk you want to assume. 
And we were assuming a little bit more risk than um, we should have been if we wanted it to be 100% effective. So it's not like we were following everything by the book to prevent pregnancy, but we also weren't trying. Right. Um, so yeah, I loved FEM. I will continue to do it. I loved how in touch with my body I was. And because of that, the day that I tested my ovulation and it came back positive for ovulating, I kind of knew like, okay, you know what? If I go back and look at my chart that I've taken, I can see that there's a chance that I could be pregnant. Um, and so that was nice because even though we weren't trying, I still know the exact day that I conceived right. and I was able to then see that and be like, all right, in two weeks, I'm going to take a pregnancy test. I may be pregnant and kind of was able to prepare a little bit mentally for that. So yeah, that's how we found out. I, I don't think my husband felt mentally prepared <laughs> for when we found out that I was pregnant. I think it was still a little bit of a shock yeah. to him, but it has ended up being the biggest blessing in the world. And I had baby fever all of last fall anyway. <laughs> we were kind of like, mm, maybe we should wait a little bit. Right. But it ended up working out. Yes, so, it always works out. Yeah. <laughs> Will you tell people um, what fertility awareness method is or kind of like even just summarize how you did it for those of people who might maybe don't know? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the what I used was actually um, like cervical mucus. That's how I tested. I know you can do basal body temperature too. And some people will do both. I never ended up doing the basal body temperature because the testing the cervical mucus worked out really well for me. And I felt like I had a really good understanding of my cycle. And up until that point, it had worked perfectly too. So right. um, yeah, what I did is I would just track my cervical mucus every day. Um, your cervical mucus can tell you a lot about where you're at in your cycle. And there's estrogenic mucus that can tell you when you're getting closer to ovulation. So then on the day of ovulation or after about, uh, I don't know, five or, five or six days usually is when I would ovulate five or six days of that estrogenic mucus is when I would ovulate. So I would test uh, my ovulation every day. And those strips are just looking um, to see if that hormone has been released. And that's how they know that you're ovulating. So I would test it every day. And then on the day that it would come back positive, I would know that within 12 to 36 hours, I would be ovulating. So usually, I mean, the guidelines are that you don't have sex three days after it's usually peak plus three in order to be a hundred percent effective. So, yeah, that was yeah. a great explanation. And mm -hmm. like you said, there are tons of ways to do it. Um, I did the basal body temperature because that was more like, um, what's the word? Like that wasn't subjective for me. It was very objective. Mm -hmm. It gave me a number. Um, and it was very easy for me to track. So that's very, that's amazing for you that the cervical mucus was, you know, enough to tell you so much because I really struggled. Like trying to track with that, with the cervical mucus, mm -hmm. because I'm like, I don't know, maybe it looks like this. Maybe it looks like this. It's, it was hard for me to notice those subtle changes. Um, but it is amazing. I love fertility awareness method too. It, it just really does help you understand your body. Yeah. Definitely. And like you said, you can do it. My sister's are always like, I'm not going to do that. Like you got pregnant doing it. And I'm like, okay, but <laughs> I wanted to get pregnant doing it like in a way. So, mm -hmm. um, I could have for sure prevented it had I truly yeah. wanted to, right. um, you know, it can really be really, really, um, accurate if you do it mm -hmm. with yes. all of you, like with all of your effort. <laughs>
yeah, my friends have said the same thing. And when I first started doing it, they all were like, nope, never going to do that. And now I think they still are planning to do it at this point, even though they know that I got pregnant. I just, I told them the same thing. Hey, you have to decide the risk level you're going to take. Right. And then you're going to be good to go. So right. yeah, highly yes. recommend. Yes. I, I enjoyed it too. Um, okay. So take me through your pregnancy then. How, um, how was your pregnancy? Did you enjoy it? Um, tell me about it. So my first trimester, I was pretty nauseous. Um, it was horrible because I was at work every day and I was so sick and I was eating so much throughout the day because I just needed to, I had to keep some food in my stomach all day or I would get really sick. And so I'm sitting at work with like sleeves of crackers and apples and pickles and none of my coworkers have any clue. Like not a single one of them knows that I'm pregnant. No one's picking up on it. I also stopped drinking coffee. I was really nervous about that and thought it would be really hard. And then within the first couple of weeks, I got a huge aversion to it and wanted nothing to do with it. And so it was really easy to not drink coffee, which was really good. But I went from drinking coffee at work every day to now not drinking coffee at all. Super sick, eating a ton. None of my coworkers knew that I was sick or that I was pregnant. And so I'm just miserable every day. It's COVID season. So I can't tell people like, oh, I feel really sick. Cause then I either have to tell them I'm pregnant or they're going to be like, "Mm, maybe you should get a COVID test. So (laughs) that was rough. I ended up telling people way earlier than I was planning on it just because I was so tired of having to be sick in silence every day. (laughs) Right. Um, But yeah, my, my sickness really only lasted through like week 16. And I think I was done throwing up by like week 18 or 19. And that even then it was only like once a week. So that wasn't too bad. I definitely wasn't one of those people that was sick the entire pregnancy. Um, During my second trimester, I was so excited because everyone talks about how you get all your energy back in the second trimester. And that didn't really happen for me. Um, I was still very tired, taking naps every day after work, um, didn't have a ton of energy. But then right at the end of my second trimester, leading into my third trimester, I ended up getting COVID. Mm -hmm. And when I got tested for COVID, they ran a blood panel because they were just testing me for everything. I went into the ER because I felt really sick and I had some weird symptoms that could have been like symptoms of preeclampsia or like gallbladder bursting, which happens in pregnancy a lot, as you know, probably. Um, and so my doctor just told me, Hey, just go into the ER. I'll let them know you're coming. They'll test you. So they tested me for a whole slew of things and they found out I was anemic. So when I had COVID, we also figured that out. My doctor told me to get on an iron pill and that changed my whole life. Literally. I feel like I had to have been anemic even before pregnancy because I have never had so much energy in my life. And it was literally my third trimester. And so I shouldn't have felt that way. (laughs) But yeah, after I took that iron pill, I, I don't know, it was life-changing. I did so much in my third trimester. We went to like long football game days Um, my brother got married seven hours away. So we did that drive and had a really busy weekend and I was fine when my dad got married when I was 38 weeks pregnant. Um, I just had all this energy and the third trimester was definitely like the best time for me. I just felt so good and it was really special for us. So yeah, I didn't have any huge complications in pregnancy. I I know I kind of skated over the COVID thing. I was pretty sick for about two weeks. Um, but it never like escalated to the point where I needed to go to the hospital or anything. The baby was fine. 
Um, we did a growth scan afterwards just to make sure I wanted to, my OB wasn't even concerned, but I wanted to, and I kind of secretly just wanted to see him again because she only <laughs> does the one anatomy scan during pregnancy. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to see him and get pictures of him. So at 36 weeks, we did that and that was really fun and he was fine. So yeah, that ended up working out in my favor. I was very lucky, but yeah, yeah. that was kind of my pregnancy. Yeah. I was about to say, so what was it like COVID? Cause you were, you did totally skate over that, but I mean, that's amazing that you were, you know, able to just kind of stay home and manage at home and never get um, mm-hmm. too sick. And that's also crazy. And what's such a blessing that you honestly ended up going into the ER and um, it's crazy how, you know, one little iron pill when you're that anemic can change so much. Mm-hmm. That's, that's yeah. awesome that you were able to like get your energy back. And, um, I'm sure that also helped like preparing for the baby and all that nesting that you want to do. Um, you right. definitely need energy for that. Yeah. And that was the thing too, leading up to that, I did not have the energy for it. And I was like, where are people getting all this nesting energy? Like I'm seeing videos on TikTok all the time and it came after I got my, my pills. So that was, yeah, that came perfect timing. Yeah. Do you still take the iron? Um, yes, I have okay. been, I didn't right before I went to the hospital. I don't know why I didn't. And then it was funny because I got my blood. Um, they did like my blood panel or whatever. And I got the results and it was like showing that I was anemic. Hey. And so I was like, yeah, I don't know why I got off of taking it, but I'm aware. <laughs> yes. So. That's good. Okay. So leading up to your birth, um, what were you, you know, planning? What were you envisioning? What were you hoping for? So I spent hours and hours researching and preparing my birth plan Um, throughout my entire pregnancy. I read and listened to anything I could get my hands on. Um, I listened to all of your podcast episodes (laughs) and I listened through um, the evidence-based birth podcast. I read Ina May's or Ina May's guide to childbirth and um, read tons of the evidence-based birth articles, as well as just going through studies that I could find online um, about like interventions and augmentation and all of that. Um, My husband read Husband Coach Childbirth by Dr. Bradley, and we wanted to do that um, during my labor. And so he kind of was able to help me prepare as well. It talks a lot about like relaxing while in labor in different laboring positions Um, So we kind of went through that as well. And then I know a lot of people talk about uh, Bridget Tyler in your videos. And I also watched uh, Bridget Tyler um, just to learn about like natural pain management and breathing techniques. And so that was another resource that I used as well. And yeah, I kind of took all this information that I had been listening to and learning throughout my entire pregnancy and just spent a ton of time um, writing out my birth plan Uh, One of the things that was really important to me um, was that I wanted to have that time with my baby, that golden hour. I actually, on my birth plan, I put two hours, just try and be greedy and see what I could get. (laughs) Um, So I put golden two hours on my birth plan. And that was really important um, for me. I was just really hoping that in that fourth stage of labor, labor, I would have that time with him. Um, just cause there's so many studies that talk about, you know, how important, how important it is to get baby up against mom's chest as soon as possible and to breastfeed within the first hour. And I really wanted that. And so when I was writing my birth plan, I was kind of thinking like what, out of all these different stages of labor, what is going to most effectively lead me to this to the ability to have this like golden two hours, you know? And so my birth plan was mostly just 
less intervention or the least intervention possible. I wanted to have an unmedicated birth and was really preparing for that a lot. So, okay. Yeah. It definitely sounds like you, um, did your research, you did your homework, you totally prepared yourself. Did you guys do like formal childbirth education classes or kind of, did you just, you know, bring it upon yourselves to kind of learn everything on your own? Yeah, we didn't. Okay. Um, we had, I kind of played with the idea a lot and I had asked friends, some friends swore by them, other friends who are maybe kind of like me, just very like research minded. They did their own research and they were like, I took a class and it, I didn't really learn more than what I had already learned. And then other people said, I didn't take a class and I have no regrets. So I kind of weighed my options. And mm-hmm. as time went on, eventually I was just like, mm, it's probably too late anyway to do it. And I feel like I've learned so much already. And so I definitely felt prepared. I, I honestly kind of felt over-prepared when I went because there were some studies I probably shouldn't have read and we'll get into that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I definitely felt like my method of research well worked really well for me. Right. Um, but I do know that that does that isn't always the case for everyone. And some people don't like to read studies and that's perfectly normal. Right. So yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It definitely it's a total like personality thing in a way, honestly. Like I always even tell my clients who hired me as a doula, you know, I'm gonna do a ton of education with you. Um if you, you know, you're good to go, if you just want to take my education and then also do some podcast reading on your own, but if you don't want to do any of that on your own, then I always say it doesn't hurt to take another birth class. So it truly is, I guess it's more like your learning style, you know, do you want to be taught by somebody else or can you kind of teach yourself through reading and listening? Right. Right. Um, okay. So we kind of know what you were envisioning, what you were planning for. How did labor start? How did labor progress? So I, um, had a cervical exam at 36 weeks and I was one centimeter dilated. She did not tell me the effacement and I just didn't ask for some reason. So we'll never know. Um, But I continued to stay there until 40 weeks when I was a loose to her words and 70% effaced. Um, So not a lot of progression there. I didn't do some of the, I know a lot of people talk about doing the raspberry leaf tea and the dates and I didn't do any of that because I didn't want to go into labor early. And for some reason, that was a concern of mine. It shouldn't have been. I'll know that in the future, but I didn't do a ton of like natural at home inducing until I got to 40 weeks and then was like, all right, we need to get the show on the road. Um, I kind of regret that. I think in the future, I'm definitely going to try the red raspberry leaf tea and the dates. And I know a lot of times even if that doesn't help actually induce labor, it just helps your cervix to soften. Um, and so, yeah, definitely going to try that in the future, but at 40 weeks, like I said, I was a loose two. And at that point, um, my doctor wanted to discuss induction. So we did the membrane sweep at that appointment. And then she said, okay, well, I can induce you tomorrow if you want. And I'm like, no, let's wait. I definitely don't want to get induced tomorrow. So we agreed to, set an induction date for I my know 40. I'm pretty sure your cat is in your Christmas tree right now look over your shoulder oh <laughs> I just don't want your cat you to knock her? it over I do sorry I hate to interrupt but I'm like if your whole tree goes toppling over because your cat is in it right now I'm gonna feel really guilty because I'm watching okay, it hold happen. on I'm gonna go grab her <laughs> hey <laughs> No, get down. I could just see like ornaments shattering. 
the tree breaking it just being a whole <laughs> type of mess okay okay thank you yes you're welcome okay what was I saying oh so okay let me think of a she she a wanted place. to induce you is where you were kind of yes at. yes okay so at my 41 week or 40 week appointment we talked about induction so she wanted to induce me um and she offered to do it that next day. And I was like, all right, hold on. Let's wait a minute. Definitely don't want to do that. So we agreed to do an induction at 41 weeks. She essentially said, I don't usually like my patients to go past 41 weeks. And I think I definitely could have told her like, okay, that's fine, but I don't want to get induced. And she probably would have let me go at least a couple days past that. Um, but she's been practicing for so many years. And so I think, you know, she kind of has a way that she likes to do things. And I was okay with that because Thanksgiving was coming up so soon. And selfishly, I really wanted to be able to see my family. And I knew that when I had just given birth, I would not want to go anywhere near anyone. And so I agreed to do the 41 week induction. Um, I knew that if I went home and I did not feel good about it, I could call her and we could talk about it and probably push it back. But at that point, I also had a ton of very severe pelvic pain and was having a lot of sciatic nerve pain and had been going to the chiropractor weekly for that, but it just was starting to not help anymore. And so I just kind of accepted defeat a little bit and was like, okay, I'm going to get induced at 41 weeks. That was not what I had planned. I did not do enough research about induction. And so in the couple days, I think my 40 week appointment was on a Thursday and I turned a new week on Mondays. So my induction was the next Monday. So in that like four days, I tried to do as much research about induction as possible. I watched birth vlogs on YouTube of unmedicated inductions and was just trying to learn as much as I could to prepare myself. But I definitely hadn't done a ton of research on induction while I was doing all of my birth research because for whatever reason I just didn't think I would go to that point my mom had all of her babies at 38 weeks or earlier so I just kind of thought I'd be the same way you know I'd go early and that's part of the reason why I didn't do a ton of the like cervical ripening stuff either because I didn't want to encourage that but yeah so I did a ton of research that weekend and also the whole weekend the whole week leading up to 40 weeks and then into my induction as well we were doing so many things I'm trying to try. not to laugh but your cat is back in your tree <laughs> just... okay hold on I'm gonna lock them downstairs <laughs> no it's okay if, if they're allowed in the tree that it's fine I just <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny no they've literally never gone in there so I guess they just chose right now to act up <laughs> you stay out of the chair you're going down there too <laughs> okay uh, I probably won't edit any of that out because it's really funny to me <laughs> okay so um yeah so all of 40 weeks leading into my induction we were doing like at home things to try to induce labor too so we we're going on long walks and doing um curb walking and I was doing the mile circuit every day which is not 
easy, by the way. The miles circuit. So pregnant. I've said it so many times on this podcast. <laughs> I it's great, but I hate it. It's so uncomfortable. It was so uncomfortable. Like that doing first pose side, kills the you. lunch thing. Oh, the first pose. And then the lunch for 30 minutes when you're already like swollen and your ankles are tired because they've never had to carry this much weight. <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. Um, and I did the activating labor YouTube video that people talk about and yeah, just tried pretty much anything that you could. Um, none of it worked, but when I did end up going in for my induction, I was three centimeters dilated and 80% effaced. So either that or the membrane sweep or both did help me dilate a little bit more, which was good. Cause then when I got in for my induction, I was feeling very hopeful. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. So what, what happened when you got there? What did they kind of start you off with? Um, as far as like trying to get your body into labor and how, how did that progress? So we got in at 7.30 a.m. on Monday, November 15th. Um, like I said, I was at three centimeters, 80% of face. And I was kind of asking the nurse like, okay, like, what do you think she's going to want to do? And she's like, I don't know. She's the doctor. We're just going to have to wait till she gets here. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So my doctor got there and she was like, okay, we don't need to do any cervical ripening. You're already at a good point to get started with the induction. And so she wanted to go right in and do um, Pitocin and break my water. And those are two things that I had said in my birth plan that I did not want right off the bat. So I was like, okay, I understand that in an, a induction, you usually need to do Pitocin. That's kind of how it goes. So I said, what are my options? I don't want to break my water right away. I know that that can cause issues later on um, if we break it too early. So what are my options? And she said, okay, if you don't want to break your water right now, we can do the Foley bulb until you're dilated to a four and see if that can start some of your contractions. And so we did that and that was good. I know I had heard like mixed things about whether it was uncomfortable or not. And I really did not find it to be uncomfortable at all. And so that was really nice. She got that in. And then I was just kind of laying in the bed because the bulb, you know, just kind of like hangs out. And I was just chilling there for a little while. It did start contractions. Um, and she started Pitocin at that point too. So they started it really low. I think they started at a one, uh, but the contractions did start at that point and they were really bad. And I don't know if it was, it had to have been the bulb because the Pitocin was so low, right. but the contractions were very, very bad. And right before I got to a four um, with the bulb, they got really painful. And I had said to my husband, like, if the, if this is what the contractions are going to be like this entire time, we're in for a ride. <laughs> um, but they, um, they did get better once the bulb was out. So I don't know, that was kind of weird. I don't know if it yeah. was the bulb or what it was, but and for anybody who the Foley bulb, as we're talking about it, it, essentially, if you imagine like two water balloons kind of, um, next to each other, that's kind of what it looks like. It goes like into the cervix and you blow up the inside balloon with water. Um, and then sometimes you don't really have to blow up the outside balloon, but most providers will, um, blow up like an inside and outside balloon of water. And it kind of puts like pressure on the cervix and just helps it to like dilate to about four centimeters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely don't want to scare anyone <laughs> because I thought I definitely didn't think the insertion or taking it out was painful no. at all. Okay. That's good. Um, yeah. It was not uncomfortable for me at all. The contractions, like I said, they're a little rough, um, but it did work. 
So she came back in at 11, I believe, and they had been tugging on it and stuff, but my OB came in and she said like, has it fallen out yet? And I said, no. And so she tugged on it and then she kind of looked at me and then she just yanked it out (laughs) and it came out. And so she then checked me and she was like, yep, you're out of four, like you're good to go. And so then she said, okay, now I want to break your water. And the nurse came in and they also said they wanted to do internal monitors. And I had read about the internal monitoring and I was like, "Mm, like, is there a reason why we have to do that? And they're like, well, with induction, like we need to monitor a lot more closely because we're forcing your body to go into labor instead of your body going into labor naturally. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But doesn't it go into his head? And she goes, no, it just screws into his scalp. And I'm like, isn't that the same thing? I didn't say that. And so they ended up doing the internal monitors and I kind of struggled with that a little bit. I was like, I don't know. It ended up working out and I'm really glad that I did. And we'll get into that. But I think at that point too, when we were talking about breaking my water and doing the internal monitors, my husband did speak up and was like, so she really wanted like to do as much or as least intervention as possible. That's what we're trying to maintain. At least some of that. And my doctor had said, like, I understand, but like, this is an induction now, like, you just need to trust me. And I was like, okay, I get that. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. But I also, after the whole experience, I literally love my OB and I feel like connected to her now. (laughs) Um, And so it definitely wasn't a bad experience with her. And I think she has birthed so many babies that she has just kind of gone through every type of labor and every type of experience. Um, And I definitely looked long and hard before I chose her. And so I felt confident with my decision. She um, actually has a private practice. So she, when I went to her, I knew that I'd be seeing her the whole pregnancy and then she would be delivering my baby. So I did like actually choose her. It wasn't like she was just the on-call OB. So, but anyway, we ended up um, doing the internal monitors that hurt. <laughs> I think other than contractions at the very, very end, um, that was probably the most painful part. Um, and they did one and I was like, wow. And they're like, yeah, there's still one more. And I was like, okay, great. Um, but it was quick and then it was done and she did break my water. Um, and so after that, there, I was super excited because the Foley bowl was out and I was going to be able to move around. I told my nurse, I want, um, a birth ball so I can bounce on it. And I was excited because I had put in my birth plan that I wanted to go in the tub and I wanted to bounce on the ball and walk around. And I had been doing my birth techniques or my breathing techniques throughout the contractions during the time that I had the Foley bulb. So I was doing um, like the de-stressor breath a lot. I used that my entire labor and delivery and feel like that saved me. Um, but yeah, I was really excited because I'd been in this bed now for three hours. I was really excited to move around. So the nurse gets the ball and she gets me all set up. My waters are still gushing out at this point. And so we had to put some of the like postpartum underwear on me and um, we put like a pad down on the ball. And so then I was just bouncing on the ball, watching, uh, 
Great British Baking Show and <laughs> was just having a really good time. The contractions were um, about two minutes to two and a half minutes apart my entire labor and delivery. So they never got further apart. And that started during the time that I had the Foley bulb. So even when I was three centimeters dilated, as soon as the contractions started, they were super close together. And then once we had the internal monitors, you can see how like powerful they are. And so they, at that point started to creep up a little bit more. They were up in like the 50 to 65 area for their strength. And they were really close together. So I'm just bouncing away watching Great British Baking Show when I um, hear uh, the baby's heart rate starts to decelerate. And he, with two contractions straight, it goes from like 140, 150 to 80. And I turn to my husband and I'm like, Alex. And he's like, it's fine. Like, it's normal. Don't worry about it. I don't even know how he would know that, but (laughs) that's what he said. Just trying to calm me down. And the nurse comes in and I'm like, yeah, his heart rate's kind of dropping. And she's like, yep, we see it. We're watching it. Like, it's okay. It's very normal. We're just going to keep watching it. And so they leave. And then the next contraction after they leave, I didn't even tell, I wasn't watching my contractions at this point, but I guess um, the next contraction that I had, it was five minutes straight of contractions. So I had a contraction that was about a minute long. And then I came down and then had another immediately after, and then it came down and then had another immediately after. And I, and I could feel them, but I wasn't thinking about it. I was just trying to like calm down. I was doing my breathing. And then we hear the baby's heart rate is getting slower and slower and slower and slower. And I look over and I'm just watching it. And it's like 80, 70, 60, 50, 40. And at that point, when it got down to 40, my nurse and my OB come running in and they get me off the ball and they put me on the bed and they're like, can we, can you get on your side? And they're doing all these things and they're talking about stopping my labor. I don't know. Uh, it starts with a T, what, whatever that drug is that like stops your labor. Herb. Yes. Tributyl. They talk about, yep. They talk about doing that and they're like, we need to turn the Pitocin off. They put waters back up in my cervix or in my uterus. Um, and so now I have this like catheter and I have these waters that they're now putting back inside of me. And I can't help but think in this moment, like, Hmm. <laughs> I wonder if this is why I didn't want to have my water broken. Um, but what they basically said, and we couldn't know at this point, and they wouldn't have known either, you know, but what they basically said is they thought that maybe there was still a ton of waters up at the top that hadn't drained yet. And that he was just, since all the waters were gone from the bottom, he was just being shoved down into my cervix like too hard during those contractions and the contractions were just coming on too fast. Like there was, I didn't, I had five minutes straight of contractions with no break in between and he could not handle that. And so, yeah, like I said, they put a catheter in because they're like, we need to keep your bladder empty. And at that point I was bedridden. They're like, yep, you need to stay in this bed because we need to make sure that his heart rate is staying consistent. Cause even when I laid on my back, his heart rate would drop. And so they, I would have to switch sides. I'd have to go on my left side. And then like an hour later, I'd have to go on my right side. Um, and so that was really, really hard for me because I was still doing this unmedicated, um, but the contractions were two to two and a half minutes apart. They were really strong and I couldn't use any of my natural pain 
medication or natural pain um, management that mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And so the only thing I really could do was my breathing techniques. And I, and I was relaxing my body. And I do think that made a huge difference. And I would recommend that for anyone preparing for labor in general. Um, I think just making sure that my body was completely relaxed during those contractions was a game changer for sure. And my husband was really good about that too. Every time I'd have a really bad contraction, he'd come over and he'd be like, all right, like relax your body. And he was just helping me breathe through the contractions. Um, so they got really, really bad and no one even really knew like the nurses came in and they're like, okay, so we're seeing the strength of your contractions on the monitor. But then we come in here and you're laying here with your eyes closed and your arms stretched out and you look fine. Like, are you even in pain? And I'm like, yes, I'm in pain, but the breathing and relaxing my body was huge. Um, and I'm really glad that I did have that. And so from 1130, when they broke my water to 5.30, I was just levering. Um, I did sneak half a cliff bar and I'm really glad that I did because um, I hadn't eaten anything since 11.45 the night before. I had like a last minute snack because they told me not to eat anything after midnight. <laughs> so I had a little granola bar. But um, at 5.30, my doctor comes in and she, well, actually the nurse was like, you know what? I'm just going to check you because I'm not sure where she is. She thought she'd be there around five and then it was 530 and she wasn't there yet. So she's like, I'm just going to check you. So she did. And she said, okay, like, looks like you're at about a five or a six. And I was at a four at 1130. <laughs> so I'm like, great. That's not what I wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. um, right after my doctor comes in and then she's like, I'm going to check you. And I don't know why, but the nurse didn't say anything. Like she didn't say, oh, I just did or right. anything. And so I got checked again. Um, and she said, yeah, you're out of five. She didn't even give me the or a six hope. It was just you're out of five. And so the nurse was like, do you want to talk about medication? And I said, not at this point. So they left me alone and I labored some more. And at that point, my contractions got really, really painful. I started having back labor and I'm not sure why, cause he wasn't sunny side up or at least he wasn't when he came out. She might've maybe done a maneuver. Um, but when he came out, he wasn't sunny side up and I started having really bad back labor and the contractions just got worse and worse and worse very, very quickly. And so I'm laying there on my side um, and it feels like someone's standing behind me and grabbing my hips and yanking them apart, like pulling them off my body. Um, and so that, yeah, that got really bad. I called my nurse in. I said, realistically, what do you think? Like, when do you think I'll have this baby based on how I've been dilating? Because at that point, I've dilated two centimeters in, well, I got in at 7.30 and it was now 6.30. So I dilated two centimeters in 11 hours. Mm -hmm. um, and so she said, I'm thinking breakfast time. And I knew that I was not going to be able to sleep overnight um, with the way that the contractions were going. And so I said to my husband, you know what? I think I want to get the epidural. And he's like, are you sure? Because I know that you didn't want it. And I said, yep, I think this is going to be 
what's best for me. I need to get sleep. I want to be able to push my baby out. Like, I don't want to be exhausted. And then something worse happens because I can't get my baby out. So I got the epidural at that point and the contractions were so bad that the anesthesiologist walked in and he was like my lifesaver. <laughs> I was like looking at him like, thank you. Um, they did it and it, it wasn't painful or anything. And so that was really good. Um, and once it got in, I immediately had a contraction and I didn't even feel it. I didn't see it on the monitor because I was faced away from the monitor while he was administering it. And he says, okay, you just had a contraction. Did you feel anything? And I didn't. So that was really good. Um, until a little bit later, I think it started to wear off a little bit. Um, I think maybe just the way that he placed it, and I don't know anything about placing epidural, but I think maybe the way that he placed it, it was too um, like localized in my uterus because um, as the night progressed, I started to feel all of the contractions in my back again and on the outside of my stomach. So like I couldn't feel them in my uterus, but I could feel them in my stomach, which was really strange. And I was trying to explain that to my nurse and she just kept saying like, just push the button again, push the button again. And I really didn't want to do that. I didn't want to ever have to push the button because I wanted to be able to feel while I was pushing. I just, all I wanted was to get some sleep, you know? Um, but I did end up pushing the button a couple of times because the back labor got so bad again. Mm. And so at 1030, um, I got checked and I was at a six. <laughs> so in the morning. Done. Yeah. Or 1030 okay. at night at night. Okay. So it'd been about four hours since gotcha. I got the epidural. Perfect. So I'm at a six at this point. And I, after that, I was like, you know what, whatever I have the medication now at least. So I guess I'm just here for the long haul and it's fine. Um, I got some rest and I was kind of fading in and out of consciousness. It felt like, because I was still having back labor. So every time I had a contraction, which was like every two and a half minutes, I would wake up for it and would breathe through it. And then I would kind of like fall back to sleep. It was very strange. Uh, and I think maybe the medication had to do with that too. Just making me feel kind of, I don't know, just kind of out of it. Um, and so around midnight, I want to say my nurse came in and they'd been coming in and taking my vitals and everything, but she told me that I had spiked a fever, um, which I know, you know, but that's not something you want to do, um, during labor. And so they didn't tell me anything because I think they don't want to freak you out, obviously. Um, but I had obviously read articles about, you know, how spiking a fever can cause X, Y, and Z. And, it's one of the quickest ways to have like an emergency C-section and all of this stuff. And so I'm now thinking about like, okay, what's this mean for me? What's this mean for my baby? Um, they ended up, they just kept taking my temperature and they ended up putting me on, um, I think they gave me Tylenol, but they put something in my IV as well. I don't know what it was. It might've been like an antibiotic, like preemptively. Yeah. Um, and so we did that and I continued to have the fever the entire time that I was in labor. And so it never went away, even with the antibiotic and with the, um, Tylenol that they gave me, but around three 30, they checked me again. And I don't remember this at all, by the way, 
I had to go back in my husband's texts and look at where he had texted his mom. And he did text her at 3.30 and said that I was at about an eight or a nine. Um, so that was one of the things. They had me on so many medications at that point. I was so loopy and I hate that. You were also just I, exhausted, I'm sure. Yeah, exhausted. I had barely eaten. I had barely gotten any sleep. I was, yeah, I hate that so much. And when I look back at my labor and delivery, that's one of the things that makes me like so sad is I was just so loopy and I don't remember a lot of the early morning and like, I don't even remember getting checked. And (laughs) that's, you know, when you get checked, it's like invasive, you know, like that's, they're checking your body. And I don't remember that, you know? So, but I was at an eight or nine. So that was really good. I do remember um, telling my nurse that I thought I was in transition after, or maybe it was even before. It must have been before, because then she would have confirmed that when they checked me. Um, but I remember telling her that and telling her that um, the contractions were just feeling stronger. And I was like feeling a little shaky. Um, in the last hour, so probably four to five, I was really shaking. And I was like, all right, like we have to be getting close. So then my doctor did come in at 5 a.m. And she was so chipper. She just came in. She's like, good morning. And I'm like out of it. And my husband's asleep next to me. And he, um, she checks me and she's like, all right, you're complete. Let's try some pushing. And my husband, like I said, he's asleep. So he wakes up and he's like, what? Like, what are we doing? And I'm like, I guess we're like practice pushing, which no, we were not practice pushing. And I don't know why I thought that because the OB was literally there. And I'm pretty sure you only do practice pushing when the OB is not available. But <laughs> we just, yeah, we started pushing. She's like, all right, dad, take a leg. And it's my OB, one nurse holding one of my legs and, and my husband holding the other leg. And I remember he was shaking. And I said to him like, oh, are you shaking? He was like, no. And I was like, oh, it must be me then. (laughs) He told me after he was like, I was so scared. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't realize I was going to hold a leg. I had just woken up. And so I actually really liked that because that kind of went along with like the husband coach childbirth method that we had read. And that was one of the things that I think um, I didn't realize was going to happen, but I think God was kind of looking out for me there. He's like, hey, I know that this whole labor did not go how you wanted it to but your husband's gonna hold your leg and he's gonna coach you this whole way and like that was really awesome so as I was pushing um they were all so encouraging like my husband my OB my nurse like the whole time were just encouraging me so much um I could feel every contraction in my back so I knew when the contractions were starting and that was really helpful for pushing but I really really wanted to feel at least something in my uterus. And I didn't like my doctor kept saying, do you feel it? Do you feel it? Do you feel any pressure down there? And I was like, no, not really. Like the epidural had to have been so localized down there because I know people that have gotten epidurals and they can still feel the pressure or they can feel the ring of fire at least Mm -hmm. a little bit. And I just felt none of that, which was really sad. Um, well, I'm sure some people would say that's amazing. It's all the way that you look at it. Yes. Um, but yeah, I ended up pushing for an hour and a half. Um, in the middle of it, I got sick. I threw up everywhere because um, it was in the middle of a contraction, actually. And I think, again, that was just a combination of all of the medication that they've been putting in my body. I don't really use medication in a day-to-day 
basis, even when I would have really bad period cramps, I would always do like heat therapy before I'd ever grab ibuprofen. So my body does not handle medication well. Um, so yeah, I think it was just all the fluids, all the medication, the lack of food. I got really sick. Um, and I'm sure that didn't look good to them, you know, cause they're like, Oh, this girl might have an infection. And then I started throwing up. Um, but I felt a lot better after that. Um, and then, like I said, around an hour and a half later, my doctor starts putting the gown on and starts <laughs> gearing up and he, um, was born very suddenly. I feel like I don't remember. I think maybe she said like, okay, like five minutes, like it's going to be five minutes. I think maybe she said that, but like I said, I was so loopy and he um, started to crown at that point. And she was like, all right, um, like he's coming. And I just had like a really big push. And then I do remember when his head came out, I like, something splattered <laughs> and it was just like a really crazy moment because I could kind of see the way that they had me positioned I, was, I could kind of see what was going on and I remember that very clearly and I'm glad because I do have that memory of him being born and that's like very clear to me no one had to remind me of that but his head came out and she's like all right stop pushing and she like turned him a little bit and then she's like okay start pushing again and then the rest of his body was out and everything happened so fast. Um, but she laid him down on my stomach. He pooped on my mm -hmm. stomach, like everywhere. She laid him down and um, he was there for maybe 10 seconds before they were rushing him away. So he, he was there for like 10 seconds. And she says like, okay, I'm sorry, dad. I know you guys wanted to do delayed cord clamping, but I need you to cut the cord. My husband didn't even want to cut the cord because he's kind of like, he's very squeamish about things like that but she's handing the scissors to him and it's like she's like I need you to cut it and so he cuts the cord and now he's really glad that he did that he feels like that was really special but beforehand he was scared of it um and I don't know if it is my memory escaping me or if it's the fact that I was so loopy or if I was really just recovering from the hour and a half of pushing but I did not see my baby like he was on my stomach for like I said maybe 10 seconds and I have no memory of actually looking down and seeing what he looked like right before they're picking him up and they're rushing him away to the warmer and so the everything happened so fast my husband is like praising like louding over me he's like which would have been a really cute moment if my baby was on my chest with me but he wasn't he was across the room and I was acutely aware of the fact that he had not cried yet and so he's over across the room. I can't see him. There's people all around him. He's not crying. My husband is above me like, you're so amazing. That was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, I love you, but our son is not crying. And I don't know why. And I'm looking around. No one will look at me. My OB is literally at the bottom of like, she's like right in front of me, birthing my placenta. <laughs> and she won't look at me. No one's talking, like I said. And so- it felt like forever. I think it was maybe three minutes before he cried, but it felt like, like the world had stopped and I'm just waiting to hear his cry. Um, eventually he did cry and then they start yelling out all these things. They're like, color's good, blood oxygen's good. Um, I guess my husband had seen this on the monitor too, but his heart rate had gotten very, very high right when he was being born. It was like in the 180s. And I think that is part of the reason why they had taken him away um 
But then after the fact, they also told me that the cord was wrapped around his neck twice, which makes sense for why he wasn't able to handle those contractions and for why when he was getting pushed up against my cervix, he was his heart rate was dropping so much because he literally couldn't breathe. Um, so yeah, that was really disappointing for me. He was over there for about 25 minutes um, with them working on him and doing the APGAR and weighing him and doing all of that. And then when they finally like bring him over, they've already wrapped him up in the blanket and they're like, have him in the bed and they're getting ready to take him away to the nursery because to they the, had to do tests. Oh, okay. To the NICU. So they took him to, yeah, they took him to the nursery. They didn't have to take him to the NICU, oh. um, but they were testing him in the nursery is what they said, unless they did take him to the NICU and they just called it the nursery. I'm not sure, but they were getting ready to take him over to the nursery. Um, they had to do a bunch of tests because they had to test for an infection and that like couldn't wait. They had to get him on an IV immediately which they didn't tell me any of this, but now obviously I know that they had to get them on an IV immediately to get those antibiotics just in case. Um, so they, they do bring them over and they're like, all right, we just need to go to the nursery for a little bit. We need to do some tests. And I was like, can I hold him? And one of the nurses, I will remember her forever. She was like, yeah, like let her hold her baby. Like, come on. And so she gets him out and she brings him over, puts him on my chest. Um, my nurse starts like undressing me and like taking his towel or his blanket off and they put him on my chest and I had 10 minutes with him before they had to take him away. Um, and I honestly, like I said, don't remember a lot of that. Um, cause I was just so loopy and I was, I'm so sad about that, but I do have pictures. My husband took pictures. Um, and that's really special to me. I did get him latched in that 10 minutes. Wow. Um, and I have photos of that. And so I'll cherish those the day I die. Um, but yeah, so that I'm, I am glad that I had that. Um, like I had said previously, I really wanted that uninterrupted two hours with him. And so I feel like I mourned that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, they ended up taking him away and he was gone for two and a half hours. So when they finally brought him to me, we were already set up in our like postpartum suite and, um, they just brought him in. And they're like, all right, like, here's your baby. He's really hungry. So he's going to need to eat soon. And then they just left. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what do we do? Like, I remember grabbing him out of his little bassinet and I'm holding him and I'm like, I don't know how to breastfeed. Like, what am I doing? Why didn't I research this? Like I researched everything. Why did I not look up how to feed my baby? Um, and so we called a nurse and I was like, yeah, I need help with breastfeeding. And they came in um, and the first couple days um, of breastfeeding, I think went pretty well. I definitely didn't know anything that I know now. I feel like I have done so much research in the five weeks since he's been born, but I didn't know like just latch him whenever, like anytime he cries, latch the baby, you know, any, I didn't really know like the hunger cues. So I, I wasn't looking for that. And so I was trying to stay more scheduled, you know, like they tell you they need to eat every two to three hours. So every two to three hours, I was trying to put him on and he was so tired, you know, he was so exhausted. I think the labor was really hard on his body and he was just really tired. And so he would not latch at all on my left boob. Um, and so I had to work with a lactation consultant and that was really, she was amazing, but that was really stressful. I remember those first couple nights, just like 
2 a.m., 3 a.m. feedings. He's screaming. I'm trying to latch him on. I'm crying. The lactation consultant has my boob in her hand trying to help me. My husband's like, you're okay, touching my hair. And it was just so overwhelming. Um, and I, I started to worry that I had like missed out, you know, because I didn't get that golden hour. I didn't have that like hour, two hours of inter- inter- uninterrupted time with him. I was like, I missed out. Like, we're not going to be able to do this. Like it's ruined. My breastfeeding journey is ruined. I don't even have that with him. And then he got jaundice and had to be put under the phototherapy lights for 24 hours. And they didn't mention to me that in some babies that can make them just exhausted. Mm -hmm. And so after we, after he finished the lights and we brought him home, he would not latch for longer than like five minutes for two days. And so that was miserable. It was horrible. (laughs) I just remember the baby blues hit hard and we didn't get to go home. So we checked in on Monday. We didn't get get to go home until Friday Mm. because of the infection. We had to stay for uh, 96 hours, I think, because we had to make sure that we got his test results back and he didn't have an infection. And we had to do all of the like preemptive antibiotics. And I also had to stay on antibiotics. So I had an IV for 72 hours. (laughs) Um, but when we got home, yeah, he wouldn't latch very well. And he, I just remember my mom was there and my husband's parents were there and her, his dad would leave the room when I would need to feed him. And so I remember sitting there and my mom's around and his mom's around and they're trying to give me space, but I'm trying to latch this baby and he's just screaming at me and I'm crying on the couch and I'm just telling my husband like, get a bottle, get a bottle. So I had pumped. Um, that was one of the things that the lactation consultant told me to do in the hospital. Um, we, I think we did 10 milliliters of donor milk at one point. And then she had told me just pump, like, I'm going to get you a hospital grade pump. You can pump. If he isn't feeding, you can do the SNS. So we did do the SNS, um, supplemental nursing. What's the last part? Yeah. It's like a tube that like (laughs) kind of sits next to your nipple. Um, so baby can kind of like latch onto you, but then actually be getting milk from Mm -hmm. the tube, but it mimics like they're just getting it off of your boob, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so we did that a couple of times, but the thing with that is it took like an hour to finish feeding him. And when it came to those like 3am, 5am feeds, and we were so exhausted, (laughs) I was like, I can't do that. I just don't have it in me. And so we did that a couple of times. And then luckily this was another God thing. My milk came in within 36 hours. So my milk came in very, very fast. And so I was able to pump for him the entire time we were in the hospital. So while he had jaundice, I would still take him out every three hours and try and latch him. But if he wouldn't latch, I was able to just give him my own milk, which was something that I needed (laughs) for me. I just needed that little win, you know? And so when we were home, um, I would just get so frustrated and I'd say like, just give him the bottle, just get the bottle. And so we would, we were doing probably five to 10 minutes at the breast and then supplementing like an ounce or two at every feed for a couple of days. And then something happened and he just started latching full time. And we had like a 45 minute feed at the breast, which was the first time that we had had that. And then it just kept up. And now we exclusively breastfeed. 
And that has been so redemptive for me, like postpartum, that has been one of the things that has just been so good for my soul (laughs) because I was so worried, you know, like after I didn't have that golden hour moment with him, I was so worried that things weren't going to be how I had hoped for them to be. And then when I started breastfeeding, it was so much harder than I thought. And I didn't realize that there were all these different components that go into it and that the baby might just be so exhausted that they don't want to latch. And I just kind of stuck with it and just kept putting him on every time and just trying. And now it's paid off so much. Um, So yeah, that's, that's been very redemptive for me. And that's kind of helped me cope with, or just kind of process through the way that my labor went and um, all of the different things that didn't go the way that I wanted them to. I can kind of look back now and see, you know, like the um, internal monitors, we needed those internal monitors because the cord was wrapped around his neck and his heart rate dropped really fast. And because of that, or the cause of that was my contractions being so close together and being so strong. And so there's all these things that I can look back at now and see, like, okay, yeah, God's hand was all over that and just kind of, you know, trust in that and remember that as I move forward. But yeah, that definitely, um, it definitely is like, it can, uh, birth trauma is like a real thing. You know, a lot of people, some people have great births. It's what they planned for. And then some people don't, and it's really hard to process that afterwards. And that's amazing that you've Mm -hmm. kind of been able to look back. I think that's important. Just like that mindset of being like, you know, it might not have been what I planned for or what I wanted. Um, but look at all these things that unfolded that truly did need to unfold. And, you know, now your baby is here. He's healthy. Um, it's amazing that you guys have been able to breastfeed because like you said, I'm sure that has been very redemptive, um, in just, you know, in just healing, I think from, from everything that had happened. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's just an amazing outlook that you had because, um, yeah, it definitely, your birth definitely was not what you had planned or prepared for. Um, but it's amazing that, you know, you guys were able to come out the other side of it and have such a positive outlook on it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's been a little hard for me because I know that, you know, at the end of the day, my baby came to our room and he spent the night in the room with me and he wasn't connected to a bunch of wires. He did have an IV in his head and that was horrifying, but you know, like it's been hard for me to allow myself to mourn the birth that I had wanted because I know that at the end of the day, it could have been so much worse. And the entire time, like I said, after I had the fever and after I wasn't progressing more than a centimeter or, um, yeah, centimeter, (laughs) a centimeter an hour. I like the whole time, my husband and I were both kind of thinking like, is this going to turn into a C-section? And it never even got brought up. I don't think my doctor ever even, I'm sure she knew like this could be, um, this could turn into something like that, but she never brought it up. She was always like looking out for what was best for me. And so I know that at the end of the day, like we were so blessed with our son being born healthy. And so it's hard for me, you know, because there's a part of me that like mourns the birth that I wanted. And there's another part of me that says, no, you, you shouldn't feel that way. It could have been so much worse. Like right. you're lucky, you know? And so, yeah, a lot of my post- postpartum has been allowing myself to mourn what I had wanted, you know, like there's, mm-hmm. there's so many 
birth vlogs that I had watched during my pregnancy and even before I was pregnant every single time the baby would come out you know and usually in the videos they will do like a black screen and then you just hear the baby cry and every single time I would cry and so of course <laughs> my baby comes out and he's not crying you know mm -hmm. and I wanted that and that's okay for me to be sad because yes. I wanted that so bad you know and so that's definitely one of the things that I learned um just to allow myself to feel what I feel and not try and have, I don't have to justify that to anybody. Um, you know, we all have expectations and desires and we prepare for certain things and that doesn't always go the way that we wanted it to. And it's okay to yeah. mourn that. Um, but yeah, it's also, I've also been able to look at all the ways that it was redemptive and all the ways that it, ended up working out exactly the way that it needed to in order to bring my son to me healthy. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I couldn't agree more. Like you said, there really are two sides of it, like allowing yourself to mourn and to feel those things, but not staying stuck there in mm -hmm. that, like mourning that I didn't get what I wanted. It didn't go as I had planned being able to kind of pull yourself out of that also at times and look at it as a way that like I truly am blessed because, you know, these things happened and here we are and everybody is happy and healthy. Um, so it really, it, it is like a double-edged sword. And then not to mention like postpartum, you know, you're sleep deprived, you're tired, mm -hmm. your body is going through tons of hormonal changes. Um, so, you know, I, there are just a lot of feelings in general postpartum also mm -hmm. that, um, it can be just a lot and, and it can be hard to juggle. And I just think that, um, I don't know, like you said, like allowing yourself to feel all those things is, is good and shining a light on things like baby blues and postpartum depression, um, mm -hmm. because it's super common. And I think we're expected to have babies and then just bounce back and be fine. And, um, you know, return to work at 12 weeks or even sooner and, um, have our lives put back together, but that just isn't always the case. Um, postpartum yeah. can be, can be hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely experienced the baby blues for sure. And I think, like I had said before, I had really wanted to go to Thanksgiving. And that was one of the reasons why I did the induction. And then when I went to all of our Thanksgivings, I realized that I had extreme anxiety about anyone else holding my baby mm -hmm. for too long. Um, and I think part of that was because the way that our relationship started was not how I wanted it to, you know, and when they had brought him to me in the hospital, my husband and I were like panicked. It was like this moment of like terror. We're like, what do we do now? We're the parents to this baby. And so I think, you know, he'd only been alive for nine days when we went to Thanksgiving. And I felt, I didn't feel super connected to him yet. Or like, I didn't feel like we had that attachment yet. And so watching everyone else hold my baby, it was really anxiety inducing for me. And I was going through the baby blues and my hormones had just dropped off a cliff you know, which happens to everyone. And I know that this is a very common anxiety that new moms feel, especially during COVID and RSV season. Um, and yeah, so that was something I learned really quick how to be honest with people and how to um, tell people what I need and just be open about how I'm feeling. Because I had to in that moment if I was going to, you know, make it through and, and just kind of like, be able to work through the anxiety, yeah. you know, it, cause it, it was every night too, at around four or five, when the sun would set, the anxiety would just set in. I had especially the same thing. for, yeah. And for the night, you know, when you first come home, like I couldn't sleep in the hospital mm -hmm. with him, 
next to me because he would make little noises or he wouldn't make any noises at all. And I'd be constantly getting up to check that he was still breathing. Mm -hmm. And so when you first, when you first become a mom, it's like terrifying, you know, and I'm sure with subsequent babies, you go through the same thing all over again. But when they're so little and fragile like that, you're like, are you still breathing? Are you okay? You know, the anxiety is so real. And I don't know if anyone can even really prepare you for that because I've never been one that really struggles with a ton of anxiety and it hit me like a truck. Yes. It was, yeah, it was just so bad. And I would have to sneak away. I was around family for a week straight right after we were born or right after he was born. And I would have to sneak away so I could cry because I just needed to let my emotions out. And I knew a lot of it was just the hormones. And I was able to be honest with myself about that. I'm like, okay, I know it feels like the world is ending right now, but it's just the hormones. (laughs) Like it's okay. And that was comforting for me because, you know, when you know, it's just the hormones, you know, they're going to regulate again. It's going to be okay. Um, But yeah, postpartum anxiety and the baby blues is real. And I, went through that too. And I honestly didn't know if it would get better or if I I would need to get some kind of help. And that's, there's no shame in that, you know, and I knew that too. I was prepared to reach out to my OB if I needed to, but I, um, it did get better. And now we're doing a lot better and just having my baby home with me every day is like this feeling of bliss and pride and accomplishment that I can't explain. You know, it's not something you ever experience until you're looking down at your son and it's 4am and you're feeding him and he's getting his life from you. And yeah, it's just an amazing experience. It is amazing. It truly is like knowing that you're responsible for this tiny life that you grew and you created, and now you're nourishing and feeding and keeping alive. It's a huge burden. And I think that's where the anxiety steps in for sure as a mom, because you're like, I am solely responsible to, you know, um, make sure this child grows into a good human. And, and not only that, but to feed him and nourish him and make sure that he, you know, wakes up every morning and gets what he needs. And um, it's, it's a lot. It truly is like, it's the most, it's the biggest burden we'll probably ever. And I don't want to say burden. Cause that kind of makes it sound bad, but it's like the biggest responsibility. There's the word um, mm-hmm. that we will ever have in our lives is to raise these yeah. tiny little babies that are so dependent on us. So every mom for sure experiences that anxiety to talk to some extent, like I still look over and make sure my baby is breathing at night or in her naps or, you know, I don't know if I was talking the other day with a friend. I'm like, don't you miss those naps that you used to take when you were pregnant or before where you'd like slip into a mini coma because Mm -hmm. mom sleep and mom naps are nothing of the sort. You are always Mm -hmm. and eyes always cracked. You're listening for a creak or a movement, no matter what that sleep will never be the same. (laughs) That's okay. But yeah. And I remember when I first came home too, and I was so sleep deprived, because like I said, I did not sleep in the hospital and there people kept telling me like, oh, we've got him, go take a nap. Like, don't worry, we've got him. And I'd go upstairs and I'd lay in bed for 10 minutes and I'd be like, I need to go back downstairs and be with my baby. I'd like hear her crying, but she really wouldn't be crying. But I'd be like, oh my God, I think I hear her crying in the other Mm -hmm. room. Like when she was Mm -hmm. with family or yeah, it is. It's a, it's a whole, oh, it's a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Caitlin, thank you for um, coming on the podcast and sharing your birth story. Do you have like, you shared tons of great, like little tips and um, pieces of advice, but do you have kind of what would be like your top piece of advice for a new mom? Um, I kind of mentioned it a little bit when I was talking about the postpartum anxiety and the baby blues, but there are going to be so many things that I remember I went through this, you know, there's so many things that you 
realize that, like I said, with breastfeeding, you realize I did not research this or I did not do my due diligence beforehand. There are so many things that come up and there, um, people are not wrong when they say it takes a village. You know, I have my, my mom friends and I have, you know, my mom and my mother-in-law and people that have raised their own babies, you know, that is my best. Those are my best people right now. You know, people that I can reach out to and say like, with breastfeeding, for example, I was like, Hey, I'm really struggling. Like, how did you do it? And when I did that too, I realized that so many of my friends who I thought their breastfeeding journeys were just easy. Cause I, I never walked through that with them. You know, they actually tell me actually, no, it was really hard. And I, I went through a lot of what you're going through right now. You know, when you talk to people, you realize you're not alone. And it's very common to feel so many of the things that most moms feel after they give birth, you know, and I feel like people don't talk as much on social media about the hard things, especially in parenting. You know, no one's going on saying, hey, my baby hates eating at the breast and I don't know what to do and yeah. I'm really struggling. And, you know, people don't say that and that's okay. Um, but when you reach out to people and you open up about the way that you're feeling, that's super healing for you, but it can be healing for other people too when they start to realize like, I went through that alone and now I'm realizing like other people go through it too. And it's very normal. And so that's my biggest tip. Um, just being open with people, being honest, even when it feels ridiculous or it feels like something that you should know. Um, yeah, you, you can't go through it alone. Most of the things that moms go through, everyone else has gone through or a lot of other people have gone through too. And it is incredibly redemptive to be able to sit down with someone that you care about and realize that you guys have the same experience and that they can now lend you advice and help you and walk alongside you in your journey too. So yeah, I think that that's great because it does take a village and you can't be scared to ask questions because, you know, there is no dumb question when, you know, this is so new and it's such mm -hmm. a learning curve. Um, that, you know, you, you really do have to lean into other people and to ask and share and learn from other people's mistakes, because there's just so much to, to motherhood and to parenting that, um, you can't do it all. You can't research and read enough. And I found Facebook groups really helpful, um, mm -hmm. for different things. Like my baby has really bad acid reflux. So I joined a couple of Facebook groups like that. Um, and I always say anybody who tells you like, oh, you know, my baby was so easy. They're lying to you. Um, <laughs> they just forgot because that's how it works. Um, truly, I, I, I really think that God made it that way. So, you know, we would actually re repopulate the mm -hmm. earth um, or keep populating the earth because um, you really do forget. I mean, you forget how hard labor is. You forget how long labor is. Yeah. You will end up forgetting yep. <laughs> the sleepless nights that you experience for those first few months, if not longer. Um you forget those first six weeks that are so hard. So anybody who tells you like, no, my baby fed great. She slept great. Um, they're lying to you or they've at least forgotten. Um, because you know, we all definitely struggle with different things. Um, nobody, I don't think it's ever easy for anybody. Like I said, <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Well, Caitlin, thank you for sharing your story. Um, I'm so glad to have gotten you on the podcast and to kind of just hear a little bit um, about you and honestly, to learn from you, it truly was um, great to hear your story. Thank you. Yeah, it's been such a privilege. So thank you so much for giving me a platform to share my story. It's been yes. awesome. Yes, of course. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.